Hello, welcome to another episode of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is Adam Grosser. And Adam, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and watchers? Absolutely. First, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I am sitting in my workshop in San Carlos, California, which is the place that my wife always knows where she can find (laughs) a lot of people when they have a little bit of a success in their personal life buy a lot of things i only managed to buy a lot of tools to express my my love of craft so i am an engineer by training i have been uh lucky to work at some wonderful places like apple and lucasfilm and sony along the way then I got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug and, and helped start three companies that built a lot of high-speed networking equipment, which ultimately allowed me to indulge my passion, which is building things in and around mobility. So in this workshop, we have built four airplanes, five boats, 20 cars and motorcycles, three hydrofoils, and uh, a drive-by wire electric trike and, and countless other things over the course of the last 25 years. That sounds exciting. So I'm sure along the way you've uncovered a couple of tools that maybe we don't know about that we should know about. So what would be a good first choice for you? Um, this is a, a basic tool that is no longer made anymore. And there was a lovely, lovely tool maker that uh, up in up in Oregon named Bridge City Toolworks, and they made a line of woodworking tools that were highly functional, but also aesthetically beautiful. For those of you listening to the podcast, I'm holding up a tool that is an automated center finder. And it, it saves in an, in an incredible amount of time because you merely adjust the two sliding members of the, the tool and a scribe in the center creates a center line. So without I'm measuring- to, I'm gonna interrupt, there's a little description of it. So it's, it's about um, six inches long. There's um, some sliding wood members, two of them. And the whole thing could, um, they're kind of like a roughly rectangular shape. But yeah. There's some brass, um, I don't know, brass. Guide, there's brass guide pins guide. That, lied, that ride on the outside of whatever it is you're trying to right, find the right. center of. And it makes woodwork incredibly uh, both accurate, pleasurable, and, ext- and, and extremely quick because it takes the manual process of measuring the dimension of, say, a piece of wood or a piece of metal, scribing a center line. And, and making sure that you were, you know, you had, you had done it in a square right. repeatable fashion. So, so are there contemporary versions of it? That looks kind of antique It's wood and brass. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it looks antique That, that was bridge cities shtick, if you uh-huh. will. So they took old tools, made them in, in a beautifully modern way. These are all CNC. Uh, okay. Very, very precise. But they are they are contemporary tools. Uh, okay. So the, the the sad part was Bridge City went out of business a few years ago. I 
bought almost, you know, one of almost everything they've made. <laughs> they make beautiful, beautiful tools uh -huh. for scribing offsets on the center, uh, on radii, for creating uh, layouts of, of all different kinds of things. And I've used this, I've built a lot of acoustic guitars as well. Uh -huh. And their tools have been front and center in my in my guitar right, making. Right. So another way of maybe asking that is besides this one from Bridgeport, which I assume is not being made, are there other makers of, of the same there, kind of tool? There, there really aren't. Um, the, 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 in fact, I have never seen one of these with this the small rack and pinion that guarantees mm -hmm. that it stays parallel and square. Um, and and so there is quite a uh, an active market for uh, used mm. Bridge City uh, uh, tools because they are made exceptionally well and will you know certainly outlast my lifetime and I hope to pass them on to yeah. to children. And so the if someone wanted to find these, presumably maybe there's an eBay market on these. It, there there the is. Bridge City Center? Finder? Bridge City Tool Works. And, no, the, and the name of the tool. Oh, this is a center finder. Center finder. And, and that's, that's all it says on it. Self-centering scribe. But the, the issue is, Kevin, that um, somebody has tried to resuscitate the company. So if you look for Bridge City Tools now, they exist, but they're not nearly of the same quality that they were a few years ago. Okay. All right. Well, th that's a good caveat. But the idea of having the self-centering scribe is is really cool. That that I mean, I've never seen that either myself. So um, that's a great one, Adam. How about um, uh, tool number two? Tool number two is heavy and large, but you said it had to fit on the screen. <laughs> I, um, it's not going to, I'm not going to hold it for that long because it weighs about 25 pounds. And what I'm holding looks like a socket wrench that the, 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 you would put yeah. a sock, snap a socket onto, but, it, on, but yeah. much, much larger scale. It was like, um, it was like that, um, was it the artist um, Oldenburg? Who made the great big? Oh, Klaus Oldenburg. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Great big. It's like one of his things. Yes, but what's interesting about this is this is not a socket wrench, but it is a gearbox, and it is a. It, this is a uh, in, in entirely designed to enhance your torque application ability. So, the reason I own this is because I have built a lot of cars, and usually. When you are seating a wheel bearing in a car, there's a torque requirement. And some of them are manageable. And sometimes you need to use a breaker bar on your torque wrench, but sometimes they're not. And I, I've done a series of vintage Porsches and the torque requirements are beyond my capability as a, as a human being to, to, to tighten them successfully. So the way you use this this is capable of applying 3000 Newton meters of torque. And it, so it enhances, it, it, it gears your torque application of uh, ability up uh, four to one. So, so, so actually, I don't know. So a normal human in good shape, how many Newtons would they be able to apply? You know, you can, if with a breaker bar, with an extension on a big ratchet, you can get to a thousand Newton meters, but you can't get, it, it it's it's hard so what this does 
is if you put a thousand newton meters on the input shaft, you get 4,000 newton meters, obviously geared down, so it's turning less, mm -hmm. but you're, you're able to torque these very high uh, capacity uh, bolts to their required limits uh -huh. uh, without using an impact wrench and getting a very precise number. Wow. And why don't you want to use electric? Why is it, why is it required to be done by hand? It's a good question because a lot of these bolts are, are torque to angle or torque to stretch. And, and so they have to be done. The, the torque application has to be done slowly and gradually. Mm. So, so an impact wrench does not, for example, it may hit the instantaneous value, but it hasn't stretched the bolt to its correct length or, or, or tension. So the thing you're holding up, this thing is not electric. It's just a, a lever of some sort. It, it's a gearbox. The gearbox. So it's geared it, up to, to take the, yes. Yeah, yeah, the extra load. Interesting. Wow, that is cool. And what do you call that? A torque multiplier. Torque multiplier, of course. And are there more than one? Is there a brand that's particularly better than the others? Or are there a lot of them, or is that the only one? Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that, and I don't know that this is a highly uh, sought-after device. So <laughs> I was lucky to find this one, and, and I'm thrilled that I have it. You know, it was really tough coming up with four choices for you because I have a workshop full of arcane and esoteric things. You know, for example, to, to swage the hydraulic lines on a Russian 14-cylinder radial engine. What, I don't even know what swage uh, that means in this context. Uh, swaging is the... A, a, a circular crimping activity. So if you have a tube and you want to put a fitting on the end of it, you, you swage it on. It, it's not like it, normally crimping, for example, you would just squeeze with a pair of pliers and that would be in, in, two, in, in two axes, just top right. and bottom. Swaging occurs all the way circumferentially mm -hmm. around something. Okay. So I have all these weird tools, but I tried to get things that were, you know, perhaps more accessible. I, I appreciate that. And, and, and uh, a, a torque multiplier is certainly qualifies. So, um, so Adam, um, tell us about your third tool. Okay. This, this is the most prosaic thing I chose. <laughs> um, one of the things that I have learned. And you held up a I, little tiny a thing about five inches. It looks like a wrench inches. handle. Yeah. So this is, this is a, it's about three inches long and about a half an inch in diameter. And it's got a uh, through hole with a bearing in it and it has a ramp clutch in it. So I can turn it in one direction smoothly and it locks in the other direction. Like so, a ratchet. so it's like a stepless ratchet. Oh, stepless. Okay. I but this is not for using with sockets. This is for using with these tiny screwdriver bits. And one of the things that I have learned over the years, particularly working on airplanes, is there are hundreds of fasteners where it's just simply not possible for me to get my body or a screwdriver in to tighten the fastener. Often when you're working under the instrument panel or you're working up in, let's say, a landing gear wheel well. And this device allows you to tighten a screw a 16th of an inch at a time uh -huh. 
up in a, in a, in the whole package fits in less than an inch. Okay. So you, you get the leverage that you would have from a long screwdriver handle because there are no steps in the ratchet. You can get a purchase yeah. anywhere you need to be. You don't have to be on a click if you right, will. Right, right, right. So how does it actually do that? That, um, uh, um, that without, got, without, without, you know, as you can imagine a ratchet being these little, um, yeah. So what's in here, um, you can't really see it, but there's something that looks like a bearing and behind the bearing behind each bearing is a, a little ramp with a ball and a spring behind it. And that ramp, it's called a, it's called a ramp clutch and it, it locks the rotation of the bearing wherever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. And the, the ramps and balls stop it from retreating, yet you can turn with okay. the direction of the ramp. Wow. So a and, ramp clutch, which um, maybe something yeah. people should know. So, so again, this is brandless. Um, but again, I, th this was a great find. This is one of those $9 on Amazon kind uh -huh. of thing that has saved my life hundreds of times so if someone else would want to find it what would they search for well this says blue point ya 480b stamped on it so i imagine if you typed blue point ya 480b into a search engine you would get something that approximately like this <laughs> uh, uh I, I i you know i would just search under stepless ratchet and see what uh -huh. comes up okay but um, or stepless ratchet screwdriver and see what comes up but the, again, this has been, it's one of those things that I bought for a specific use case and have used it a thousand times wow. Uh, wow. In, in other scenarios. Yeah, no, I, I certainly see um, all kinds of needs for getting to inaccessible places where you, sometimes I have the, I have, I have a, the unratcheted version of those, you know, little angle right. screwdrivers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and I have found those those are great, but sometimes yeah. you need to <laughs> only get in turn a little tiny bit. So yeah, well, great. Okay, well, thank you. That is a nice find. That is pretty general purpose use. The stepless ratcheted, no, not ratcheted. Yeah, so it was, stepless they, call ratchet. them, they, they call them stepless ratchets. But okay. you've heard misnomer. Right. All right. The last tool is I took some liberties here. So when you talk about things that I use every day, I'm holding in my hand a battery-powered oscilloscope. And an oscilloscope is something that allows you to visualize uh, electric uh, currents. And, and so you can look at the waveform uh, of a particular signal. And I use this constantly because mm -hmm. a lot of my work involves robotic controllers and motion Mm -hmm. So the integration of mechanical systems with uh, electrical and control co or com computer-based controls. Right. And one of the things that I find is I will be sitting looking at something going, I wonder if this is triggering correctly. I wonder mm -hmm. if the voltage and current can be, you know, I want to see them both simultaneously. Mm. This is a device that allows me to have up to four inputs simultaneously. So I can look at voltage, current, frequency of a particular uh, system. Right. And that allows me to diagnose what mistakes I've made. Okay. So um, 
you're holding up something that's the size of like I don't know a toaster. Yeah, it's a small, to- small, small, a little smaller than a toaster. It's like a loaf of bread, and it has a a handle on it. You say it's battery powered. Is that important? It is because again, because I I often work on things you know in an airplane hangar or at uh, in the case of some of the hydrofoils. You know, I'll have it in the water at at a marina. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll be struggling with why is the hydraulic system not working? Right, right. And th- this is, allows me to have very granular right. understanding of the electrical port right. components. So it's a it's a, it's for field use, not just workshop use. So you correct. Want, you want something right. that's battery powered, wireless, and. Um, I know that there's lots of makers of oscilloscopes. So is this particular brand and model better than others um, in your um, experience? The, it's not necessarily better, but what it allows me to do, the reason I chose it is that uh, what you care about is the clock rate of the channels the, with the higher, the highest frequency that you can sample. Um, and, and this, this, uh, triggers at several hundred gigahertz, which is a very useful upper bound. Um, you know, typically oscilloscopes, the, the less expensive they are, the lower frequency range right. that they can cover. So, so where, where would this fit in? Would this be at the high this is, end? Well, this, is, this is not the high end. This is a medium okay. uh, uh, capability unit, um, but it is multiple trace and color and it, it has... I mean, this is the beauty of, of, of the consumerization of electronics. I mean, when I was an engineer in school, a device like this would exist in a laboratory. It would have been built by Tektronix. It would have cost $10,000. And now, you know, this is $400 on eBay. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very different world. But that, that the fact that it's come down in price and order of magnitude does not really relate to how useful it is it it is an incredibly powerful uh and wonderful uh piece of equipment so um there's uh so what what is either the name of the model number um and what is the brand and and this is a it's 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 made by a company called rigol i think there are many many chinese uh manufacturers who who build the same unit okay Uh, this is a, a ds 1102 and and i find it to be it's been bulletproof. Uh-huh. It has worked in cold. It has worked in wet. It has worked in my workshop, um, and and you know it's covered with with you know it dust because I have it hooked up right now. I just pulled it off a project. Yeah. I'm building a big, a large robotic sculpture, um, and, and it's in a part of the shop that gets a lot of uh, machining sort of dust and yeah. things. And you know it does not get babied. It work. It's it, it earns its keep. So, so I have a little fluke voltmeter yep. and that's, that's sort of like, that's about my level of understanding. This would probably require a little bit more sophisticated questioning. Do you like, is this a good tool to kind of learn how to Absolutely. use it? Or do you suggest like a YouTube course or something? I was just going to say, you know, that is the beauty of the modern world. And if you want to, if you Google or, or you go on YouTube and search how to use an oscilloscope, there are wonderful tutorials. Mm-hmm. But it, it turns out that, you know, what you're testing with your fluke meter, which, by the way, um, my fluke meter happens to be sitting right here. <laughs> um, the, 
the, you know, you're testing voltage and continuity yeah. and occasionally current with a device like this, you, with an oscilloscope, you can see the frequency response of the motor. You can see when it's turning on and off. You can actually look at how the, 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 the events are unfolding. So if you have, for example, um, a stepper motor, you can look at the pulses that are controlling the stepper motor or a servo um, and, and make sure that your, your timing and your software yeah. you've written is working correctly. So as someone who's never used an oscilloscope, although I've seen many of them around, are they easy to damage? Like, can you can you do something wrong? Are they kind of built that way that they they're 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 tougher they're they're tougher than the stupidity they they understand <laughs> the stupidity of the user I think would be the best way to put it. There are, there are usually great protections. Okay, that uh, it's very hard. As my friend who is a, uh, a electrical phobe would would say, the magic smoke tends to stay inside. <laughs> That's really good. Um, so, so um, again, if you had a generic term to search for among the Chinese manufacturers, you're looking for like a a, a two to four channel, two uh, to four channel uh, digital scope, digital scope. Yeah, and that's that's basically it. It's, yeah. it's okay. Um, so I hope that was a, an eclectic range of oh, very much so. Yeah. I'm I'm now kind of eager to hear what the rest of your collection, but we'll have to come back another time. Um, I'm, it sounds like you're doing some really fantastic um, stuff, and I'm envious of your of your projects. Um, well, but tell you. us about um, what you're passionate about these days. Maybe a project that you're working on. If well, you, want to share I, I don't know if you can see the yellow car in the background. Yeah, I do. But it's not that, it's not moving. It is not moving at the moment, but it, it does move. Um, that is a uh, 1974 E-type Jaguar that a friend of mine from England dragged in here about two years ago and said in his lovely British accent, which I will not try to imitate. Uh -huh. it, it's all broken. And it leaks like a sieve. Let's make it electric. Ah, boy. So that is a spectacular uh, conversion that, that has just been finished um, yeah. as, as of this week after two and a half years of work to rip out the 5.3 liter cast iron V12 useless lump and replace it with a 56 kilowatt hour battery. Uh-huh a motor that generates 300 horsepower, which is by the way, 50 horsepower more than the V12, uh, pull the battery, the fuel tank out, completely yeah. remake the car. Literally every single part of the car has been uh, re rebuilt, reimagined, repainted. Uh -huh. And the entire front end of the car, you know, was, was redesigned in CAD to accommodate all of the electrical systems. Wow. We, had to, we had to design and invent uh, an electric power steering rack and electrical heat, con electrically controlled <laughs> heating system, all the power distribution and management. Uh -huh. And uh, we now have a car that is lighter, faster, quieter, doesn't leak, and is has been backdated. If you again for the Jaguar aficionados of the world, '74 was the ugliest and worst year because of nascent 
uh, United States safety regulations. So it was saddled with hideous bumpers and the yeah. uncovered headlights. And so we backdated this yeah. uh, to all of the be- most beautiful moments of the E-Type Jaguar, which is has been has been called on numerous occasions, the most beautiful car ever made. Wow. Um, the 74 was not an instance, beautiful <laughs> car, but we, we put the covered headlights back, small uh-huh. bumpers of 66 and a done beautiful interior. And so now there is a fast electric quiet Jaguar um, for my friend to enjoy for the rest of his, uh, wow. his, his, his ownership. So I have to confess to, I've watched a number of electric conversion videos on YouTube ranging from the VW bugs mm-hmm. to the campers to a bus. And, and, and I, I was surprised at how complicated and onerous those conversions were. I, you, you would think, oh, oh you it's, take out the motor, you put in the electric motor, you, you know, you take out the gas tank, you put in some batteries. But as you said, most of these vehicles wound up being remade in some capacity. Oh, this, I mean, if, uh, it, this has been, I, I don't know, somewhere between 2,500 and 3,500 hours of work. Right. This was not faint of heart. This is, and it turns out that putting the motor in is trivial. That yeah. is literally what you would imagine. It is designing a motor mount that that picks up where the the gas engine wa- worked, um, drawing a uh, an adapter to from the where the flywheel and clutch plate used to sit between the motor and the drivetrain. That was 10% of the work. Right. On the other hand, there's three cooling loops and all kind for one for the battery, one for the, the, the controller, one for the heater. There's fluids everywhere. There's high voltage cables. There's power distribution units. There's the low voltage side of things. Uh-huh. There's, there's a CAN bus and all the programming that you would have on a modern uh, car uh, uh-huh. to trigger things. Right. So, so, um, what does that suggest about the prospect of future conversions? Um, I mean, one of the things it says is that making an electric car from the scratch is going to be a much better idea, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. There's I mean, no they, question. They Didn't... use batteries that are part of the frame and all that kind of stuff. So, so it's like, yeah. I mean, in a certain sense, like the hardest possible thing you could do is to make a conversion versus making a brand new, um, cool uh, car. I think there's an analogy to houses. It's dramatically more difficult to remodel a house than it is to build a new house. And, you know, if you're trying to preserve the chimney and, you know, the, the certain, a few, certain few walls and you're working around an existing uh-huh. foundation, that's way, way tougher for a construction crew than to just say, scrape the ground, right. you know, and, 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 and build it up. Okay. Um, so there's that. What I will say to your question about the future of conversions, um, there will be people who come out with specific kits for specific either types of vehicles or vehicle classes that are well-engineered. So far, the people supplying the industry and, and the things you've watched on, on YouTube I would call them well-intentioned hobbyists. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the the there are, again, there are a few companies who claim to be providing sort of nut, soup to nuts kits mm-hmm. um, to do this. It is still not for the faint of heart. It is, there, there is a lot of um, 
there's a lot of work, a lot of machining, a lot of welding to, to at least to make for on our part to make this work. But I do think that will change. The question really is how large is the market? How many people yeah, actually yeah. care? And, and, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, no, but uh, it does seem kind of inevitable. I, mean, I have a friend who got an old Cadillac classic Cadillac of some era and he's working on that one to convert it to electric. It yeah. seems to, I mean, there's a beauty in doing it that way. And, um, but it might be, as you said, it might be one offs. It may not ever be a, enough of a market to really sustain this at large scale. The other challenge is that, for example, like in the case of this Jaguar, the rear end, so the Jaguar has a very unusual rear suspension. It has something called inboard. Normally in a regular car, if you go out and look at your car in the driveway, the brakes are out near where the wheels are. You can see the discs and the calipers. The Jaguar, the brakes are inboard next to the differential. And the entire rear end is a unit with dual shocks and the inboard brakes and the, and the differential and the drive shafts. I've never seen a car quite like this. Um, and that rear end could only take a, 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 a finite amount of torque. So we actually had to tune down the motor in software because the mechanical components weren't up to snuff to, to handle what this could do. So I think the conversions have, there's a lot of um, nuance, right. I guess, as opposed to just putting in a motor and some batteries. Right, right. So you can certainly imagine kit homes that you make from, from new, but you can't imagine kit homes for... Uh, a remodel. Yeah. I mean, and there are people who are trying to do this. I mean, there are people who are saying, and, and there are, there are one or two kits. There's one kit in particular that has gained a bit of notoriety and that's for an old Land Rover Defender. And there's three reasons that one works. One is um, there's a, there's a large population around the world who, who like old Land Rovers. So there are thousands of them. Right. Second is it's a ladder frame to which a body is bolted and the ladder frame has a ton of room in it. Mm. So you have a place to put batteries mm. and the old engine that was in it was very inefficient and very large. So you have a place for a motor and the control equipment. So the combination of those three things mm -hmm. has made that, the the go-to there are I, I can think of two companies offering pretty uh -huh. good kits for that everything else is you know you're kind of on your own i saw uh, somebody doing kits for vw bugs yes which, there, of course there were you know i don't know 25 million exactly basically. the question is how many people care yeah That's with, right. That's with right. the land with the land rover at least there is a passionate community yeah, yeah, yeah. of people who, who like old Land Rovers. Right, I, right. I think the bug the bug aficionado community is a bit smaller. Yeah. Well, okay. That's really fabulous. Uh, thank you for taking time. And um, what a lucky friend you have. Uh <laughs> uh, well, he, he is a dear and, and, and wonderful friend to, to, to our family. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's been a joy. Thank you so much for including me. I enjoyed it very much. Yes, thank you as well. Um, I wish you best on your next project, whatever that might be. Um, and thank you for taking time to share your tools. It's a pleasure. Talk soon. Bye-bye. This year, 
Our Cool Tools blog will be 20 years old, which means we've been posting something new every day for 20 years. It's only possible because of the very engaged and knowledgeable readers and listeners like yourself. You've kept this place going, and we are very grateful for you. With this idea of 20 years in mind, um, we decided to try an experiment this year, and I'm inviting our guests and listeners to join me on our Cool Tool Show and Tell, which is the program that you're listening to right now. So if you feel you'd make a good guest on this podcast and have four uncommon tools that you'd like to share with us, um, please sign up on our form on the website and we'll see about inviting you. You must be comfortable taking all, talking on a video and um, you need to have some tools that you can show um, we record on, as you know, on Zoom. We do a YouTube version, a visual video version of it, as well as an audible version. Fill out the form if you're interested and um, list your four, four cool tools and we'll see if there's a good fit. The applications aren't guaranteed in any way. Um, and we're looking at tools that are new to us and appropriate tools and um, whether the times will work for you. So um, we're really interested in hearing from people all over the world, not just in the U.S., although the tools have to be available online, easily available online. And um, if you are a longtime listener, you kind of know what the definition of our tools are. They're very broad. They can be anything that's handy, from something in the kitchen to something you use to travel to a workshop to something professional that we may not know about. We're really interested in things that we don't know anything about. So um, this is an open invitation. We'll give it a try. If you think you make a good guess for this podcast, um, fill out the form. There'll be a link somewhere on our website. Um, and we look forward to, to chatting with you. Thank you.